So we are continuing on in the Gospel of Mark. We've got this Sunday and next Sunday, we've gone through the whole Gospel of Mark in this year. And for those that are visiting in that, that's uh, one of our reasons for doing that. During the pandemic, God kind of said to us that we needed to go back to the basics. Mark being the first Gospel, uh, we have studied through that Gospel this year, uh, following Jesus, listening to Jesus, learning from Jesus and being challenged by Jesus. And uh, I know we live in a day, if we're not careful in the church, we can get caught up in so many different things and programs and all kinds of stuff. And it's so important for us to just get back to the basics, get back to what our faith is really about. Uh, and so today we see this woman, right, this outsider, that Jesus embraces the outsider. And I was thinking of this story as I was looking at this. Uh, we were at a pastor's retreat in, in Ontario, and uh, a clergy retreat. And when we went to this retreat, um, there was a gentleman that uh, pastors a church in Toronto, uh, people from the Middle East, and great man of God, and we enjoy his, his fellowship and his presence, and we were having great dialogue and conversation at our table, and another gentleman showed up, and he joined in in our conversation, and we enjoy his fellowship, and he was uh, instrumental in us coming to faith, and so we're having great dialogue, great discussion, and out of nowhere, this gentleman says to this pastor, he says, you know what? He says, isn't it awful what's happening in Toronto? And this pastor said, what are you talking about? Well, all these immigrants that are coming and all these ones that are filling up the city and they're from away. Well, some of you guys would say it that way. They're from away. And, and uh, you know, he was just going on. He was just sputtering. And this brother that uh, pastors this church from the Middle East just sits there very graciously, realizing, not realizing that he's an immigrant, first of all. And he's pastoring a church of immigrants. And this brother is just sitting there and spewing, right? It's just terrible. It's awful. And I remember, I'll never forget, this pastor in such godly wisdom and grace, he looks at him in love and says, you know what? He says, I don't see it that way. He said, the way that I see it is we have for years sent missionaries over there. And the missions, you know, all the money. And our church is very mission-minded. And he says, you know what God has done? God has brought the mission field from over there right here. here. And God wants us to do his mission work as ever before in this day. I tell you that story because it always stayed with me because here we see Jesus is moving forward into new territory. Here we see the reality that last week, remember, we talked about the Pharisees and the scribes, what was clean and what was unclean, and the Pharisees and the scribes saw themselves as clean. Remember we talked about judgmentalism? And so they were going around clean, but Jesus' disciples were unclean because <clears throat> they didn't follow the traditions the way they thought it should be. Now Jesus, it's almost like Mark is showing us his point. Now Jesus is going into a new, fresh area, unclean territory. And I want to tell us today that the kingdom of God will not be...
be confined by the boundaries that we try to set on it. The kingdom of God is greater and pushes beyond what we think it's about. And I like what it says here that in, in, in verse 24, it shows us the humanity of our Lord because it says that he must have been tired and exhausted looking for some downtime because it says, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. For weeks now, we've been looking at that he was longing to get away with his disciples. Longing to get away. And after one interruption after another. And so now, for the first time, he literally steps outside of Palestine and steps into a new area. As we'll look at in a moment. This story is odd. Isn't it odd? A lot of us struggle with this. That Jesus looks like he's insulting here. Jesus looks like he's even rude here, doesn't he? And so we'll look, you know, like, like these unclean Gentiles. He sounds like the Pharisees and the scribes in this passage. And so I'm praying that we will get the true message today as we move through this passage. And so first of all, we see that Jesus goes outside. We heard already that he went to Tyre, and Sidon is right there. Sidon was 26, is 26 miles north of Tyre. Tyre is 60 miles north of Capernaum. So this is intentional. You're walking by foot 60 miles. <laughs> Jesus is intentional in what he's doing here. And these are two great port cities. They were rival cities. Uh, they were cities where they had their own kings, and they also had their own gods. And this is now where we see that Jesus has stepped outside the border of what he has done up to this point. The area was populated by some Jews, but historically it was bitterly antagonistic to Israel. They wanted nothing to do with Israel, and Israel wanted nothing to do with this area because it was known for its paganism, and they didn't worship the one true God. Tyre has been the home of Jezebel. <laughs> you remember Jezebel in Genesis, Elijah's enemy that even made Elijah, the great man of God, the prophet, want to die when she came running after him. And so we saw that she was the one who brought pagan prophets and practices to Israel. This area today that we're talking about is modern-day Lebanon. If you're wondering where it is in the world's reality today, it's modern-day Lebanon. And we see in this moment that Jesus meets this woman who is an outsider. Mark 7 verse 25 tells us that she immediately came and fell at his feet. See, she's breaking through every traditional practice and barrier. First of all, she is a Gentile. She is a pagan woman, a foreigner, Syrophoenician in origin. Mark makes a point that you get that. Greek in speech and culture. And in other words, Mark is saying she is what we would consider unclean. Outside Israel, outside the law of Moses living in an unclean land. This is a woman, and here this woman comes to Jesus alone without her husband or her male relative. And she initiates a conversation with this holy Jewish man who was a rabbi. It was unheard of for a woman to do that. 
And then on top of that, Mark tells us that her daughter is filled with a demon. <laughs> Possessed. And that would mean that there was some dabbling in something because we know demon possession comes when you open up your life to something. There is what we call oppression, but possession is somebody's been dabbling in something dark and the enemy has come in and taken over the dark. And so here she is in a situation of despair, and she is not, her and her daughter are not the people you would invite to dinner, usually. And yet she crashes the party. She crashes Jesus' dinner party and comes into the situation. So anyway, we look at it today, we can see that this woman would be seen as an outsider. And yet she comes asking, seeking, nagging. You know what the word actually means here in the original? Begging and nagging. She comes persistently. She won't give up. She comes asking the Lord to help her in her dire situ situation. And then we see, see that Jesus tried her faith. Jesus literally calls her a dog. See, this is a passage that often people don't preach about because it's uncomfortable. It is even uncomfortable preaching it. But that's why we did the full gospel of Mark because it means you have to deal with all of it, not just the parts we like, the parts we don't even understand, that we have to look at it and search it and ask, Lord, what is this about? Here is Jesus calling this outside woman a dog. Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs, Jesus said. So on the surface, it looks like an insult. Now, we are canine-loving people. We love our pets. Oh, man, you should see how much money is spent on pets in North America. We won't even go there today. But it wasn't so in Jesus' day. I, I, I think about Cuba. Sometimes you'll be in Cuba or Dominican Republic. We've seen that there's these dogs that are just left in the streets that are just going around looking. They're scavengers. They're dirty. They're wild. And that was what a dog usually was in Jesus' day. And so this term dog is very derogative. And, and for the Jews, they love going around calling the Gentiles dogs. And so here we see our Lord. Is that what he's saying here? Is that what he's calling her? Actually, if you go into the original language, it is a diminutive form that Jesus uses. What does that mean? Jesus says to her, puppies. <laughs> the actual term that Jesus is using here is puppies. And, and, and so it's got a different connotation. If you knew that and read it, could he actually read the original language? Praise God for people who can. Didn't do so well in New Testament Greek. So what is Jesus saying to her then? This is really a parable. Jesus is bringing up a metaphor, a parable like he would often teach. And so he's saying to this woman that, that remember, you're a mother and there's an order to things. There's a way that things happen. And the way that those things happen is you don't feed the dogs under the table before you feed the children at the table. He says, first of all, you feed the children. And once the children are fed, it's okay then to give the puppies the 
table scraps. Well, you say, well, that's still an insulting pastor. What is he saying here? Jesus said, you need to understand that as he said in Matthew, Matthew's story gives us a little bit more when Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus is saying to this woman, this outsider, that basically my time hasn't come yet. My ministry, my calling as the Messiah is to minister to the house of Israel, to show Israel that I have come to fulfill all the prophecies. I have come to fulfill and be prophet, priest, and king. I have come to do what was said about the temple. I have come to fulfill my calling, my role. Because we know after the resurrection, Jesus said to his disciples, you need to go into all the nations. God has always been for all the nations and for all people. So his word was not an insult. His word was trying to say to her, please understand, dear woman, there is an order in place, a God-ordained order here, and I'm going to speak to Israel first, and then in good time, the Gentiles and all nations will follow. And so we see in this passage, the children he's talking about are Israel. And the little pet doggy are those that are, were waiting. Jesus wasn't saying she could never eat the crumbs. Do you notice that in the passage? He says that it was the fact that, that he was saying to her, first the kids eat, and then the pet doggy, or the puppy. I've come first to Israel. Then the gospel will go to the Gentiles. Why is that so important? Jesus had a mission. Jesus had a vocation. Jesus had a purpose and a calling why he came. There was so much ministry need in that area. Now we know later on, possibly Apostle Paul will go and travel in these areas. We know that Peter had to have an experience to finally get the idea that God wanted to touch the Romans and all people. He would send out his disciples in that great commissioning as he commissions us as the church. But that was not Jesus' mission, his earthly mission at that moment. Jesus did not want to get distracted from the cross. He came to die, to rise, to return to the Father, that the Holy Spirit could be poured out, that the church could be birthed, and we could reach all nations for Christ. Mm -hmm. And so even the enemy could use something so beautiful as these people and this woman needing the Lord that Jesus could have easily got distracted, lived the rest of his life doing miracles up in that area outside of Palestine because the needs were so great. But it would take him away from his vocation as which was right around the corner, his cross. And so he had to stay true to his mission. He's basically saying to her, he's not saying no to her, he's just saying the time isn't right. You know what that reminded me of? That reminded me of Jesus' mother, right in his first miracle, when Mary came up to him because she was upset at a family wedding that they ran out of wine, and she was worried about how this was going to cause such problem for this young married couple. Many believe it would have been a cousin of Jesus. And so he comes, she comes to Jesus, and she asks him to do a miracle. What does he say? He calls her what? Woman. 
time has not yet come. Similar in this passage, this is what he's saying to her. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. You know, Paul said that actually this was written in the book of Romans, was written before the Gospel of Mark. He says that the Gospel is for the Jew first and also the Greek. The Greeks loved to debate. It was part of their culture. This is why Paul was so powerful as he ministered to many Greek areas. And so Jesus, the Greek culture, the Greek mindset, they, they would love these debates, but it was never a place for women to debate. Women had to know their place and sit and be quiet. And yet Jesus is having this dialogue with her, engaging her in this little philosophical, theological debate. And so he dangles out this statement, right? And he says what he says to her, trying to get her to enter in. He's pushing her buttons a bit. He's trying to see how much faith this woman has. And we see by her response that she is a thinker. She is a person that God has blessed with intelligence. And she comes back to Jesus and she says, and said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. See, she's not giving up. She's being persistent. And so we see this outsider's great faith. See, she would have known enough because of how close it is to Judea. She would have known the Jewish customs. She would have known that she had no religious, moral, or cultural right to approach a Jewish man and that rabbi at that. She had no rights to go there and ask him anything. Her, a Phoenician, a Gentile, a pagan, a woman... And her daughter with an unclean spirit, she knows that in every way she has no rights. She knows in every way that she is unclean. She knows in every way that she is an outsider to the Jews. And there's nothing she could bring to Jesus except two things. She brings her desperate need. And she brings her unfaltering faith. Do you know what today? That's how we all come to faith. We're all the Gentiles, by the way. We're all Gentiles. We've come into the church through that way. I'm not sure of anyone here that would say to me, Pastor, I'm of Jewish descent. And so we're all part of that church. The Gentiles, the outsiders... But the truth today is we all have to come to Jesus with desperate need. That's how you come to faith. I don't care if you said a little magic prayer. Unless you've come to Jesus with desperate need, brokenness, contrite heart. And say, Lord, I need you, as that song says, oh, I need you. See, there has to be a brokenness. There has to be a conviction. There has to be this willingness to fall on our knees at his feet. We say at the foot of the cross is level ground. We all come the same way. I don't care what your background's been. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care if your great-great-grandma's been in church. You come the same way on your knees before the cross. Broken. In need. And then what do you give him? Do you have any rights to be there? <laughs> no. 
None. You don't deserve this grace. And you come with your unfaltering faith in who he is. And so she comes persisting. She keeps asking. She says, Lord, help me. She's not willing to give up. You know that Matthew in the story tells us that the disciples are up to here with her. <laughs> they say, Lord, get rid of her. She's nagging. She's begging. She's ruining our dinner party. <laughs> Jesus doesn't get rid of her. He embraces her in a metaphor and dialogue. She's like Jacob in Genesis 32, who will not let go until God blesses him. Have you ever done that with the Lord, that you're holding on so tight that you say, Lord, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And so skillfully she responds, yes, Lord, yet even the puppies under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Would he pity her despite her nationality? If he were eating, wouldn't he throw some scraps to the dogs? She gets it. She responds to the challenge. Okay, Lord, I understand. I understand I'm not a part of the house of Israel. I, I understand that my people don't even worship the one true God like the Israelites do. Therefore, I don't have a place in any of this plan. I don't even have a place to sit at the table. I accept that. Look at her humility here. She doesn't take offense at Jesus. What he says, she doesn't walk out of the room angry, frustrated. She doesn't stand there on her rights. She says, all right, I may not have a place at the table, but there's more enough in that table of grace with God for you to throw a few crumbs my way. I want what's mine. And so she wrestles with Jesus in the most respectful way as they have this dialogue back and forth. And you know what's interesting? Because Jesus is willing to talk to her in this way, we see that she sees that he sees her as a person of respect, as he wants to have this intellectual debate with her. She then demonstrates greatly her faith and her humility. She knew in her heart there was enough grace in God's kingdom for both Israel and all other people. You know, this is the only place where Jesus is called Lord. From a foreign, outside woman. She knows enough to call him Lord, while those who sit at his table don't know to use the term. I like what Tim Keller said. She's not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. She is saying, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness and grace. Ultimately, that's what we all have to say. We have no rights before him. doesn't matter, as again, as I said, how many years you've been in the church. You have no rights. I have no rights as a pastor. I stand where I stand today because of God's grace. I don't deserve anything. And so I plead his grace, and I come to him humbly. And praise God, he meets us right there. See, Jesus is even taken back by her persistence, and he rewards her faith by curing her daughter. And he responded for such a reply. 
you may go, the demon has left your daughter. And so she asks what she was, she receives what she was asking for. Jesus is pleased with her faith. Jesus is pleased with her persistence. Be it done for you as you desire. And the child was cured of her dreadful affliction. Jesus doesn't even go with her. Jesus doesn't even go to her home and touch the child. He just speaks the word, and that child is released and set free. You know, this is a very powerful story because the disciples remember it. And Mark writes about it, and as we said, also Matthew and it's so important for Mark for us to understand this whole concept of who is clean and who is unclean. And it shows us that the kingdom of God is about breaking through barriers and walls and the old taboos that we want to hold on to. That's why Jesus died. And who is it that pronounces it at the cross? It is a Roman centurion who looks up and says, truly, he was the son of God, another outsider. And so I want to tell you today, my friends, this message has been given not because we look at, oh, Jesus did another healing. This has been given for us as the church to realize today that God has broken all barriers down. So the church of Jesus Christ better get their walls down and not put any barriers up. Amen. Because the kingdom of God is open to all people, all tribes, all nations. And so, praise God, she was able to go home and found that child lying on a bed and the demon gone, we're told in verse 30. She received the gift of salvation. She was included in God's purposes and plans, despite her nationality or ethnicity or her social status. I love this passage from Paul when he says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, we are all one in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. And so as I bring this to a close, God has a large table. God's table is so large that he keeps making room for more. And he's looking for us to get to sit at his table to put another chair and to look for someone else and invite them in to be a part of that. That's why in Revelation, when the kingdom of God comes and we get to enter in, what is the picture that we're told? It is the great wedding feast of the Lamb. And every tribe and every nation and every tongue will be seated there together, worshiping him, the king of glory. And so this is a sad story that I bring to a close here today. That there was a pastor who said, I was told that I was not permitted to evangelize people in the lower income apartments in our town. And when he was asked why not, he answered, we don't, they answered, we don't want their kind here. That answer is shocking for a church to even say those words. And so the pastor continued, Naturally, I knocked on the doors in the apartment complex and invited the people to come to know Christ. And I invited people to our church. And the church people were not happy with me. That story, my friends, is repeated over and over again in the Church of Jesus Christ mm -hmm. in North America. 
And I think it's important as we read this story today that we come to the conclusion that our God is not a God of prejudice. Mm -hmm. Never has been, never will be, and the church dare not ever show it. Mm -hmm. Because then you are not of Christ. Mm -hmm. We are in the business of being, knowing that we've been outsiders and God has welcomed us in and we welcome all people, all outsiders, into the kingdom and into the church of Jesus Christ. I had the opportunity to go through one of our uh, albums looking for some pictures. And uh, many of you probably heard before, some of you wouldn't know, that we had church planted in Switzerland. We went to Bible school in Germany, and while we were in Bible school, we were called by God to start an Italian congregation. Well, that Italian congregation moved into also an English-speaking congregation. And this English-speaking congregation, uh, <clears throat> now remember, this is in Switzerland, in German-speaking territory. And we're having two Canadians are planting an English-speaking church in German Switzerland. And so none of it makes sense, and that's how God works. Did we know what we were doing? No, didn't know what we were doing at all. We were just being obedient to what God was telling us. And so the interesting thing is, uh, when we had this church together, when we looked at, we were just a small group meeting up in an apartment, and then we moved into a hotel conference room. And so these were just, we had Canadians, Americans, Swiss, German, people from New Zealand, Brazil, Peru, Netherlands, and Italians worshiping together. Actually, from that little place called Open House, there was also a Yugoslavian uh, congregation that was started. And, and Spanish. Huh? And a Spanish. And a Spanish church started from the very place that we started. And so at different hours of the week and different times, there would be uh, Bible studies and worship services in different languages. And why do I share this story? Um, it was interesting because when we lived in Switzerland... Uh, we loved the Swiss people. We loved Switzerland. Actually, when we left there for Italy, we cried the whole way to Italy when we had to leave this congregation. Uh, one of the reasons, that's a baptismal service on the Rhine River that we had. Uh, one of the reasons why we cried was because there was koinonia. There was life together. It was everything we would ever want the church to be. And because of government, we weren't allowed to stay. Because of no visas anymore, we had to leave. And so we left crying all the way to Italy, where God was calling us next. And, and why I tell you that story is, is in the Swiss culture, uh, they had a lot of foreigners come to work. And at one point, it was Filipinos who came to work in the, in the hospitals because they didn't have enough workers in the hospitals. And so a lot of Filipinos came and worked in the hospitals there in Switzerland and helped out. Uh, and then the people that we found that we were starting to minister were people from Turkey. Uh, a lot of manual laborers were coming uh, to Switzerland. And there was a whole group of Turkish men, and Germany had a lot of Turkish men as well, that were coming in as the laborers. And so we would meet a lot of these guys in the streets because the area where the church was, it was all walking streets. There was no cars allowed. And so we would walk through these plats, well, what do you want to call it? Squares, town squares. And we would walk through, and we only spoke English. And here we are trying to meet people that don't speak English and don't even speak German very well. But somehow we were trying to reach out to them. And somehow they would notice us because we saw them. See, everybody else didn't even bother to say hello to them. 
didn't even notice them, didn't think they had any value but just come here and do a job. And so they didn't see them as people. They weren't valued by the Swiss culture. And so we saw them and looked at them and wanted to get to know them. And so we had a coffee house on Friday nights and these Turkish men would come in and it wouldn't be Turkish coffee, it would be a good Swiss coffee. <laughs> and they would sit there with us and they didn't speak English and we didn't speak their language. And so they would try to speak in their broken German and one of our friends with that, we had our Danish friend who also spoke English and German, who's the DS of Denmark now. He would speak in broken German and then translate it into English to us. This is how we had conversations on Friday night. And, and so this was how we were trying to build relationships. We were trying to be Christ to them. We were trying to love them into the kingdom. And it was just exciting to be around that. But it was hard work and it was difficult. Why do I tell you that story? We're in Italy. We're heartbroken. We left our church. We're alone on the mission field. And I mean alone. We're the outsider now. We're in a new nation. We don't speak the language well. We speak some dialect, but we don't speak well. And, and, and we're standing in the lineups trying to get our papers and stuff in place. So we've been there, we know exactly what it's like. And all of a sudden we get a call. And it's people from Open House. And they said, you'll never believe what happened. And we're like, what? The first Turkish guy came to faith, Hussein. Hussein gave his heart to the Lord in our coffee house. He's come to Christ and we wanted you to know that. Now, I don't know what happened after that. I don't know what influence Hussein has had in the lives of others. I know that Hussein was baptized. Many years later, I have to ask the worship team to come. Many years later, I think it was about 10 years later, wasn't it, Mike, that we, Pastor Mike, that we went back to Europe. And we went to go in around Italy, and we wanted to get up to Schaffhausen in Switzerland. And we're in that big square where we used to minister and sing and reach out to people to the coffee house. And we're having coffee with a dear friend that came to the Lord, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is sitting there, and we're just finishing our coffee time, and a man and his family walks up to us. I didn't recognize him. Mike recognized him right away. And Mike says, Hussein, how you doing? And he was still following the Lord. And he introduced us to his wife. And to his children. And that was the last time that we've seen Hussein. We don't know where he is today or what the Lord is doing. But ten years later, he was still following Jesus. Amen. The thing he said to us was, thank you for showing us Jesus. Thank you for showing us Jesus. I was a stranger, Jesus said. And he welcomed me. You know, we want to be part of the sheep on his right hand. We don't want to be part of the goats. We know that. We talk about that. But part of being a sheep at his right hand on that great day is based on how we welcome strangers. I have felt like an outsider. Do you know there's outsiders in our families? Dare I say there are outsiders that will even attend church, that feel like they're on the outside looking in. 
There are definitely many in our community that feel like outsiders. And people who God have called to Canada. People who have God has called right here to West Prince. And the question is going to be, are we going to love them like Jesus? Are we going to show them Jesus? Are we going to arise to this mission field that God has put right at our feet? Would you stand to your feet? Do you know one of the statements we had for our little church plant was? I believe this is where we had it, Mike. Everybody's a somebody, somebody and Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ is Lord. Do you know that was our motto? Where everybody is a somebody and Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Father,